Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. On today's episode, uh, we've got two this week. This is a week six recap, talking about all the action from last Saturday. Um, And then tomorrow night on Thursday evening, I will be recording another episode. Looking forward to the giant slate of games that we have coming up in week seven on Saturday, October 15th. We have a very special guest joining the podcast on that one as well, and it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, It's going to be one of the more gambling-centric best bet bonanza episodes that I've been really looking forward to doing this season. Haven't been able to get one in quite yet, but uh, had a relatively easy week, and with as many great games as we have coming up this weekend, it felt like the right time to do it for the first time this season, so... Thanks for listening. We will get right into it for a quick recap. Uh, start off in Tuscaloosa. Alabama beat Texas A&M 24 to 20. This was obviously a way closer game than I think anybody really imagined, even with Jalen Milrow um, getting the start as expected with Bryce Young being out with this uh, sprained AC joint. Before the game, uh, you know, Saban didn't make any announcements about Bryce <clears throat> being officially out. Why would he? Um, to his, you know, hand to Texas A&M and everybody. Um, but it was no surprise to basically anyone who had read, you know, about the timetable for this type of injury. And uh, they did a pretty good job at keeping it under wraps. But when when he wasn't warming up in the pregame warmups, it was clear it was Milrose day. Milrow went 12 of 19 for 111 yards in the air and one passing touchdown. Uh, unfortunately for him, he had two fumbles, both of them lost, and an interception. Um, Saban said after the game that he was playing with a lot of anxiety, something that's definitely troublesome for Bama fans with the big road game at Tennessee coming up this Saturday. Um, because, yes, it was a stressful game against a good, talented defense in Texas A&M, uh, but you would like to see the young buck play with a little bit more composure. Uh, so if he does have to get the nod in Knoxville – in that, you know, environment, then things could get very shaky very fast. But we'll talk about that more on tomorrow's episode. Um, Really, the story of the day for Alabama was turnovers. On top of Milrose 3, they had uh, another fumble lost and wound up with a negative 3 turnover margin. Alabama ranks 115th in the nation in turnover margin at negative 5 on the season, um, which is... Very uncharacteristic of a Nick Saban defense. Normally, they're setting streaks and records for how many you know non-offensive touchdowns Alabama is scoring. Not uh, this type of a, a bad stat. But this could be good news in a way. Um, I mean, normally, if your team has an extreme turnover margin from you know one side or the other, either way it tends to level out a little bit as the season progresses because it's just really uncommon to be really, really good or really, really bad for 12, 13, 14 games, whatever. So if there's a you know glass half full way to look at this for the Bama fans out there, um, you figure, okay, negative five turnover margin, that's really strange. Um, some of these were just stupid self-inflicted wounds like the fumbles, Um, that can be prevented, you know, going forward, just playing a little more, you know, cautiously when running the football. Um, And 
we're sitting here, Alabama's sitting here at 6-0, and and if you can get through the Texas game, get through the Arkansas game, get through the Texas A&M game with these bad turnover margins and, and still come out of the first half of the season undefeated, then what could it look like if... The turn, you know, if the last six games Alabama had a plus five or better turnover margin in their favor, then these games might start coming a lot easier um, because there's a lot of really tough matchups. Uh, you know, from now until the Iron Bowl, it's Alabama's going to have plenty more tests. So maybe it'll flip, but if they come out and have a negative three turnover margin against Tennessee or Mississippi State or Ole Miss. They're going to lose, so it has to be cleaned up. There's no question about it. At the very best, just be neutral, Um, but it would be really nice and encouraging to see Alabama's defense kind of get back. And It's done really well overall this season. The turnovers are the one thing that they really haven't been able to capitalize on. And, of course, there's two sides to the coin. The offense has to stop giving up the ball uh, so freely and commonly. Will Reichard, Alabama's... kicker one of the best kickers in the country uh he's been a stud his whole career and to speak biasly as an Alabama fan uh an absolute blessing after all that we've been through (laughs) but he picked a hell of a game to have his worst game of his life he only went one for three missing a 47 and then a 35 yarder uh that one was in the second half and it felt like we were watching Alabama kickers, you know, every other one of the past 10 years besides Rikerd. But I'm not worried about him. You know, every dog has a bad day. And uh, I think that he'll be able to come back and get his head right uh, this last half of the season. So I'm not I'm not really worried about that. It was just a hell of a coincidence. Like, why couldn't this have happened, you know, at any point when we're up four or five touchdowns? Um, it would have been would have been better better than in this game when we were fighting for our life. So I think he'll be okay though. Uh, to speak on the Aggies for a moment, Texas A and M they played a really clean game. Uh, you forced the four turnovers, only gave up one to Alabama. Um, so props to them for that. They came in, played very disciplined. Um, they didn't you know make a lot of stupid mistakes. They played pretty calmly when the game was on the line and everything down the stretch. And uh, they really were only able to score when, excuse me, when Alabama gave them the ball a lot of times, you know, around midfield or slightly into Alabama territory. Um, 17 of their 20 points actually came off of Alabama turnovers. So that's an interesting stat when Bama was able to kick the ball off or punt the ball deep down the field. A&M was only able to get three points out of all of those drives combined. But, you know, 17 points off of turnovers, that's a great way to to cough up the game if you're Alabama. So... A&M still struggling with the offense. They were able to grab onto the momentum and take advantage of those opportunities when their defense was able to set them up in a great spot. Um, obviously, on the last play or the last drive of the game, they had the ball with a chance to win on the two yard line. And there's been a lot of chit chat over the play call. Um, you know, the the quarterback, even if the wide receiver would have come down with that ball, just he was already out of the end zone, and the way that his momentum was going, he probably would not have been able to flip a 180 dodge the sideline and the defender and get into the end zone for the win uh so it's kind of like it was kind of like a play where you see a team on third and 10 throw like a three yard route and then even if they do catch it then they still have 
seven yards to go. So I know a lot of people, A&M fans and those rooting for the upset were really upset about that. Um, but overall, I mean, props to A&M. They had their backup quarterback, too. We talked about Haynes King. He was the starter. Then he wasn't. Then he had to go back in when Max Johnson was hurt uh, the week before. So they played a good game. Defense really came up huge for them and, uh, you know, gave Alabama a lot of things to think about if Milrow has to keep playing uh, going forward this season. So I thought it was going to be more of a route even with Milrow in, but tip of the cap to the Aggies gave Alabama all they could handle for the second straight year. Moving on. uh, Okay, I kind of went longer than I thought on that one. I got to get through some of these a little bit quicker and do some prep for tomorrow's pod. Um, Number eight, Tennessee. Went to Death Valley in Baton Rouge and defeated number 25 LSU 40 to 13. Um, didn't see much of this game. LSU muffed the opening kickoff and it was over at that exact moment. Um, Tennessee just absolutely ran it up on them. They had a huge crowd down there. LSU's offense once again really struggling. Um, they, you know, Daniels had 300 yards passing, but. Uh, the Tennessee secondary isn't isn't too too strong, um, but they were only able to get 13 points on the board all week on Twitter. And I've seen this before. <clears throat> doesn't happen often because LSU doesn't often play during the daytime. Um, but the LSU fans were just acting all offended um, and just shocked that they weren't able to you know get this game in Death Valley at nighttime because uh, they think that since it's you know this well-known atmosphere and crazy environment that they just deserve to play all of their home games at night. Well, hey man, welcome to the what the rest of the country has to deal with. Like Alabama, my entire four years in college had like three fucking night games because we were on CBS 230 every single you know day of the week. And while that's not the worst time slot in the world, it's way better than the 11 a.m. kickoff, obviously. Sometimes you just want to play under the lights for a big game. So I get it, but LSU has two to three times more home games than a lot of the other big schools like Alabama and Georgia who get featured in the afternoon or morning slots quite often. So I found that comical. And uh, yeah, they they probably realized when looking back at this box score why they weren't selected to play in that primetime 2.30 or 7 o'clock on ESPN, uh, you know, time slot because you just got your ass whooped by 27 points at home. And in case you haven't been keeping track, Ever since LSU's fairy tale national championship season, their overall record in the past two and a half years is 15 and 14. So when you're a basically 500 ball squad, you're not going to get the luxury of that many primetime games. Newsflash, Tigers. Moving on to Pasadena. Uh, number 18, UCLA defeated number 11, Utah, 42 to 32. One of the more surprising outcomes of the day. For me personally, uh, Utah maybe a little bit of a look-ahead spot because they host USC in Salt Lake City this upcoming Saturday. And you, uh, but UCLA just they've they've been surging the past two three weeks. Um, so I think Utah just caught them at the wrong time. If this game is played a few weeks ago before UCLA really turns it on offensively. You know, maybe Utah's able to get the victory, but UCLA's hot. And a couple years ago, last year, a lot of eyeballs looking at that program with Chip Kelly having been there for a few years, had never really produced any 
uh, significant results, you know, on a national or even really Pac-12 level. And everybody was looking down under their watch. Okay, how long has this guy been there? Is this ever going to happen? They just seem to kind of teeter out every single year. Um, they obviously don't have any type of a home field advantage because they have literally like 40 people that show up at their games. I wonder if that'll change now. Probably not too much. Um, but... They, they kind of came into this year without too many expectations, you know, lots of eyeballs on obviously USC. I was highest on Utah in the Pac-12, Oregon as always, um, but UCLA kind of flying under the radar. They open up a can of whoop ass on Washington at home a couple of weeks ago. They take care of business against a very tough Utah team. And uh, we're looking at two really good teams in Los Angeles now. It's been a long, long time since both of these teams started 5-0 and or better. Uh, 2005, to be exact, was the last time. So it's, it's, it's fun for the game uh, to to um to have these schools relevant on a national stage and it you know gets everyone excited for when they're going to meet later in November I think they play the second to last week of the regular season actually um but uh, I guess I guess it's kind of sad for the Pac-12 because both of these teams are leaving for the Big Ten here in a, a couple years but UCLA and USC have finally turned it on uh anyway speaking of teams jumping conferences soon Texas absolutely <laughs> took the soul out of the Oklahoma Sooners 49 to 0 this was actually the only unranked game in the Big 12 last week. I think I forgot to mention that on last week's pod, but that was an interesting stat just shows you how deep the Big 12 um, has become. Just had to pause. The Braves just took a 1-0 lead in the sixth. I'm watching the game as I'm recording the pod. So if it sounds like I'm distracted, I am. Um, but let's see. This was the only unranked game in the Big 12 last week. Um, safe to say that Texas got their revenge from blowing this game last year. Uh, it was really great to see Quinn Ewers back. First time we've seen him since the first quarter of the Bama game. I'm happy for him uh, to be able to return. And he did not miss a beat from the last play that we saw him, that's for sure, hanging 49 points on the Sooners. And I'm guessing if they really wanted to, they could have probably run it up a little bit more. But I think they only scored like seven points in that Um in that fourth quarter, and I had seen that the Oklahoma fans had surely quit. There were about 12 of them left in the stadium in the fourth quarter on their half there. That was a pretty funny shot, seeing the Texas side still completely packed full and the Oklahoma side just, just dead empty, split at the 50-yard line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Texas, huge win. I can't remember the last time they came out and did this. Granted, Oklahoma, uh, this is not the Oklahoma team that we're used to, obviously. They didn't have G Dylan Gabriel, but it wouldn't have mattered if they did. There's no way they were keeping up with this Texas offense. Oklahoma only had uh, 39 passing yards. And the Braves just got another baby. <laughs> Shout out my man, Austin Riley, MVP. Um, yeah, 39 passing yards for the Sooners. This was the largest margin of victory. Uh, close your ears if you're an Oklahoma fan for this part. Largest margin of victory in this rivalry's history. Oklahoma's first three-game losing streak since 1998. Uh, Oklahoma's first time being shut out since 1998. And Oklahoma's first time ever losing two straight games by 30 or more points. 
uh, thanks to what happened last week against TCU. We'll stick with the Horn Frogs. They were able to spoil Kansas's game day party, 38 to 31. Uh, both teams here, we expected these offenses to show out, and that's exactly what they did. These teams combined for 992 yards of total offense. It was a really great game, uh, but TCU comes out on top. Some weird stuff online about Kansas's quarterback this year, Jalen Daniels. He got injured at the end of this ball game, and on Twitter, there was some reporter. And nowadays, so many people like set up their accounts to look like they, you know, like a fake news reporter gotcha type of thing and tweet out close enough you know tweets and statements that seem like they could be true but if you click on their profile you see that it's like ball sack sports or whatever um, but someone tweeted out that he was out for the rest of the season which I quote tweeted and sent my condolences and I was really sad about that and then a couple hours later I get back on Twitter and Jalen Daniels himself is saying no this isn't the case like he's trying to play this week so I don't know what's going on because Kansas plays Oklahoma, and if Jalen Daniels plays, then uh, I mean, uh, I don't see how Oklahoma could be favored in that game. We'll talk about it tomorrow, <laughs> but uh, I, I hope he's okay, even if he doesn't come back for this game. Um, God knows the last time Kansas beat Oklahoma, uh, probably like the Dust Bowl, but I hope he can return at some point this season and Kansas can keep up this momentum because they're just a really fun team. I don't know how long they're going to be able to hold on to Lance Leipold, um, but I just hope that they can enjoy the ride while it lasts. South Carolina defeated Kentucky in Lexington 24-14. Uh, to 14. That was the 13th-ranked Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, however, they did not have their star quarterback, Will Levis, and as expected, uh, after losing quite a few of their important pieces from last year to graduation or the draft, Will Levis is really uh, what makes this team run. And without him, they are just a very, very uh, average, if not worse, type of SEC East team. They look a lot more like the Kentucky that we you know, grew up to know and love, not the Wildcats of the last few years. Um, so, and the Brews got another. That's Darno to go up three to zero on a nice little two out rally in the sixth inning for the good guys. Uh, yeah, Kentucky, I hope that Levis, he's questionable to return this week. He was apparently seen in a walking boot this week. Um, so I don't know. I just hope they can get him back quick because the season could really spiral down fast after a quick top 10. Uh, start to the year for the Cats, um, but hopefully he's going to be okay sooner than later. NC State, they are number 14 last last week, defeated Florida State 19-17 to in Tallahassee. A really impressive bounce-back win for the Wolfpack after dropping the game last week to Clemson. Uh, they still have a double-digit win uh, season in their grass, which is a really huge deal for them because NC State has never had one of those, not even 10 wins. Um, so they were really upset last year when they were at nine games, didn't get to play in a bowl game because of COVID stuff, understandably. But that's I know that's a big goal for this team, even if they're probably not winning the ACC anymore, being in the same division. Uh, as Clemson and suffering the head-to-head -head loss already. Um, NC State can still be really good and competitive. They play a great Syracuse team who's undefeated this upcoming Saturday, uh, which is a super interesting matchup. But NC State, you know, they're a veteran group. They were able to come back and 
you know, take the loss like a champ and focus on FSU because that's a team that if they would have just been sulking all week, they would have gone down to Tallahassee and gotten beat. They only won the game by two, um, but that's just what good veteran, uh, you know, high caliber teams do. They put it in the pass, leave it there and, uh, you know, go on to, to fight the next battle. So hats off to NC State. That's a, that's a good win for them. Notre Dame beat BYU 28-20. Unfortunately, we lost our second best bet of the year on this. We're still 4-2, still looking really good. Been working hard on this week, so that I'll announce tomorrow night. Um, but I don't know what the hell happened here. I thought this was the easiest. This was the most confident I felt about any bet all season, and you know, then I lose. So this was at the same time as the Bama game. So I was, I was at a sports bar for the second half, and I was keeping an eye on this one as BYU was trying to fight back. And I honestly didn't. Yeah, I was consumed by what was happening in Tuscaloosa. Um, but just a really just disgusting one to lose, especially just losing the best bet to Notre Dame. Makes me want to just sh- throw up and shower. Um, Arizona State beat Washington. 45 to 38. Washington has come back down to earth fast, now suffering back to back losses after a pretty good start. Um, you remember they beat Michigan State really convincingly, which at the time, not everybody realized that Michigan State wasn't as good as they were last year. And now they just look like garbage. So I don't really know how much that win really says about Washington. They just took care of business against a pretty bad team. Then they got. They're ass kicked by UCLA last Friday night. Um, Arizona State is just not a good team <laughs> at all. So I don't really know what is going on with Washington. I expected them to win this one quite easily. I believe they were a two touchdown favorite. So really big upset for the Sun Devils. Uh, they have some of the Herm Edwards stink getting out of the building. And we saw, we'll talk about it here in a second, but interim coaches do really, really well this past weekend. Uh, the last game I want to touch on, number 23, Mississippi State, defeated Arkansas 40-17 to in Starkville. State is the first uh, – or State is 5-1 and one for the first time since 1998. 1998 feels like 98, anyone? Uh, no K.J. Jefferson for Arkansas, unfortunately. Again, probably wouldn't have mattered uh, if they had had him. Um, but State is proving to be a real player in the West, if you listen to the preseason pods. That's one team that I was pretty high on going into the season. Uh, that isn't making me look like a complete fool at this point. Um but they're doing really well. Bama plays them the week after Tennessee, and that's kind of horrifying right now. I mean, they can score. And we've heard about the whole offseason, all the stats when there's a quarterback, and it's his third year in Mike Leach's system. And Will, Will Rogers is proving that to be true uh, yet again, no matter where Leach is coaching. So really hot start, 5-1 and one for State. And they should be 6-0 and because oh, that LSU game that they lost, they blew a 16-0 lead. Um, that should not have happened, just went completely dead in the second half there in Baton Rouge. But it happens. It was early in the season, um, and they are controlling their own destiny in in the SEC as they move on to mid-October. Arkansas, after looking pretty good with a win over Cincinnati and everything to start the year, uh, they have now dropped three straight. 
it's been a tough stretch for them. They really should have beat A&M, but that game was crazy weird. They blew a 14-0 first half lead and the doink off the top of the upright. And then, you know, the Bama game, whatever that was expected. And then this game with no KJ Jefferson kind of ruined any chance that they had, I think. So Arkansas, I mean, they can still salvage this season, but obviously in the SEC West, they have a lot more tough competition coming up. So hopefully KJ, I think he is expected to play this week they go to BYU which is just we'll talk about it tomorrow but it's just yeah really strange uh, exciting but strange timing for that matchup now that basically everyone else is in the country is in conference play but BYU is not in a conference so I guess that explains that um, yeah so that's it for the week six recap just some big picture stuff um, before I wrap up here that I just wanted to touch on um, interim coaches this week went four and0 that includes the uh, new regime at Georgia Tech Wisconsin Nebraska and Arizona State uh, quite surprising but you know sometimes like we talk about man these these teams that kind of get the bad juju out of the building with the old coach where things were just stale and you know, just burn out, and then you get some fiery young assistant that all the players enjoy and get fired up for. It's like a breath of fresh air sometimes, and we saw Wisconsin bounce back in a huge way after just looking dead as a doorknob all year. So shout out to the uh, Yellow Jackets, Badgers, Cornhuskers, and Sun Devils. So, so, so sad for Colorado, who did not play a game. They had their bye week on Saturday. That might have been their one chance to get in on that interim coach, Juju. Um, but they still remain winless because Colorado's – they're the only winless team in the country now because Colorado State actually won their game against Nevada, one of the other worst teams in the country. Uh, for the dumbest roughing the kicker flag I've ever seen in my life, it was a really poor acting job by the Colorado State kicker to get one more chance after a shank at the end of the game. But the referee gave it to him anyway, and he took advantage of it on the second try. Uh, so, yeah, now the Buffs, my poor, poor Buffs, are the only winless team in the country shout out to my centennial state college football teams um and yeah oh yeah last note on the interim coach thing maybe auburn should have tried that after blowing the 17-0 lead maybe they would have beat georgia who knows <laughs> uh matt rule was fired by the carolina panthers so speaking of you know teams in transition with the coaches um he's going to be Probably the hottest name this offseason now that he's available. Um, he was at Carolina for two and a half seasons, and it was just really, really bad. He never had a good quarterback um, between Darnold and Baker and everything, and it was just kind of a it was just a train wreck there. So if you don't remember, Matt Rule uh, started his major head coaching career at Temple, and he took them from winning two games to winning 10 games in only three years. Then he got hired by Baylor in the aftermath of their disgusting uh, Art Bryles sexual scandals where they had lost basically every player on their team, were under all sorts of scrutiny and trouble from the NCAA as they deserve to be, but it was just a really hard situation for anybody to come in and take over and try to see a path forward in any sort of the you know short-term future. All Matt Rule did was take Baylor from winning one game to winning 11 games in three years. So two unbelievable jobs uh, from the Temple and Baylor tenures. And then at that point, obviously, he was, you know, he had become one of the hottest names 
in in football and if he had stuck around and played his cards differently then he you know he would have been considered for jobs like USC and Oklahoma and I mean you know the biggest college football jobs he was proving that he was qualified for after turning around two programs like that what could he do somewhere like Texas you know um, but he decided to take a chance, take the leap to the NFL, and it went really poorly. But because of his track record in college, you know, it's just it's just a lot different between your you know the recruiting and the schedule and the competition and philosophy. It's just it's just not apples to apples coaching one or the other. So I think he'll come back and instantly be a candidate for all the jobs that we just mentioned and whatever jobs open up between now and the end of the year. Uh, The way his buyout is structured, it wouldn't be surprising to see him take a year off, maybe wait around for like a more monster type of job, blue blood type of job to open up in college, even though so many of them have been filled, you know, recently, it's hard to really predict who it might be. Um, but he might just do TV for a year, take a year off, but either way, you're going to start seeing his name pop up in every single coaching search, um, going forward. So that's just a little quick note on Matt rule. Um, my next thing, UConn has the same amount of wins as Oklahoma. (laughs) I just had to mention that. Um, and yes, Alabama announced in 2023, 20. No, 2032 and 2033, numbers are hard sometimes. Um, Alabama is doing a home-and-home with Minnesota, the Gophas. And this is, I'm not really talking about, you know, Alabama, Minnesota 10 years from now. um, But just, it just made me think about the larger trend that college football is experiencing right now in going away from the neutral site games um, that Alabama was one of the programs that really spearheaded and made that into a big thing the past 15 or so years. Um, Alabama opening up almost, I think every season besides two, maybe three under Nick Saban in the big neutral site games, normally in Atlanta, you know, a few in Dallas um, against good power five opponents. But, you know, that's cool and all. Um, they're, they're fun games. I always love, especially Atlanta. You know, I, I love going there to watch ball games and the new stadium is so beautiful. Um, it's, it's a fun trip. However, I would so after we've done that a few times and then the SEC championship game is there and then your bowl games are there. And it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, I'd just like to go see someone's campus and someone's unique stadium, not an NFL building, uh, for the third time this season. I'm not trying to complain. I, you know, I swear if it sounds like I am, but it's just, you know, we see those things, those stadiums all the time. And what makes college football great is the on-campus stadiums and the unique atmospheres and traditions that you don't really get when you play in Atlanta or Dallas or wherever. So I'm just really glad to see, I mean, mostly my team be making this jump because now the start of it was really this year, at least for Alabama playing um, Texas on the road and we get them in Tuscaloosa next year. But you've seen a lot more high caliber teams kind of transitioning away uh, from these home and home or from the neutral site opener games into home and homes. Like I remember Clemson and A&M, you know, played a couple years ago. And this year we've had a bunch like Arkansas, BYU, and even just like maybe not the top of the top teams, but like 
games like Washington played at Michigan last year and they hosted Michigan State this year. And it's just so cool to see, okay, let's see, uh, you know, Michigan State go and play in Seattle. You just – Stuff like that, you know, it's just kind of, it just feels like awesome early season college football. So I'm just really happy um, that my school, but a lot of schools are uh, taking part in this trend. And I hope it continues um, to be, you know, to be a thing. And, you know, maybe let schools that don't normally get the exposure of playing really high profile games, maybe, you know, leave the stadiums open the first weekend um, of the season for schools that could use a little more publicity and spotlight on the national stage. So I just think that's cool. I'm glad that's happening. Um, And that'll wrap up the episode for week six recap. Hope you enjoyed. We've got another one coming in about 24 hours um, before this really, really great, exciting weekend that we have. So as always, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, go Braves.